If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to read from Romans chapter 8 in a few minutes. Romans 8, we're going to read the first two verses. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans is the letter God inspired the missionary Paul to write to the church at Rome. We call it Romans. All the books have uh, major divisions called chapters, and this is the eighth one, uh, one verses 1 and 2, that we will read in just a few just a few minutes. We're also going to, I'm going to refer to uh, two other texts, 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 2. I'll summarize those. Uh, we'll just read Romans 8, 1 and 2. Uh, today is New Year's Day, and of course, uh, it's unusual to have Sunday, uh, New Year's Day on a Sunday, so it of course, brings up the idea of, of new beginnings, right? New year, new you, near, new year, new me. Uh, it's just natural for us to talk about new beginnings on, on New Year's Day. So I want to talk about the wonderful, messy nature of new beginnings. Let me tell uh, one of my favorite Bible stories of maybe my favorite New Testament character, John Mark. Remember, he grew up among the heroes of the New Testament and we, um, we see him sitting around in the, in the house where, his, where, where the, the church met. And, and then when the folks at Antioch wanted to send Paul and Barnabas off on a missionary journey to go out and preach and plant churches, young John Mark went with them. And at first it must have been wonderful. John Mark was, must have been enjoying just sitting at the feet of Paul and Barnabas and learning from them and planting churches and maybe feeling a little bit like a spiritual hero. But then something happened. We don't know what happened. But up in what is now Turkey, a place called Pamphylia, uh, John Mark went AWOL, absent without leave. We don't know why. In fact, it seems to have been a surprise to Paul. He wondered, where did, where did John Mark go? And that caused such a that caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas was more sympathetic and Paul was just done with John Mark. And then a couple of years later, a second missionary journey came up and Barnabas said to Paul, let's take John Mark with us. And John, or Paul was so angered even by the suggestion that they had a big fight and they split up and Barnabas went one direction, Paul went uh, another. But then years later, in a prison in Rome, Paul has come to the end of his life. He writes Second Timothy, his last book. He writes, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then in the next paragraph, he says, bring John Mark to me. He has been such a great help to me. Now, what in the world happened there? Maybe Paul at some point went to John Mark and said, you know, I'm, I overreacted and I'm sorry about that. Or maybe John Mark went to Paul and apologized for leaving them high and dry in Pamphylia. But we do know that John Mark pulled himself up after such a fiasco, a failure. He, he, he pulled himself up and, and, and proved his mettle by joining in other missionary endeavors, eventually writing the gospel, the collection of Jesus stories named for him, Mark. And almost every New Testament scholar believes that that Mark was the first gospel written and that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source in the co compilation of Jesus' stories called Matthew and Luke. I love that story because I, you know, as a young man, I, uh, 
I, I disappointed people and God, and I, I just love the story of new beginnings. <clears throat> new beginnings are wonderful, but new beginnings are not simple. Grace is amazing, but grace is not cheap. Another story of new beginnings, NFL referee Jim Tooney, he was a a National Football League official from 1960 to 1990. Soon became the, the head referee, the guy with the white hat. And in 1987, he was the head referee uh, in a game at Soldier Field in Chicago. The Chicago Bears were playing uh, the New York Giants. Now follow me on this story. Phil Simms, you might know Phil Simms. He's still a, he's a commentator for the National Football League. He was the quarterback for the New York Giants. He was back to pass. And, and, and just one of those big Chicago Bear linemen hit him and the ball left his hand and, and the ball hit the ground and bounced up into the big hands of Steve McMichael, a lineman for the Chicago Bears. And Michael grabbed that ball up and, and lumbered toward the goal line and scored what he thought was a touchdown. But Jim Tooney, the referee, was back there at the original where the ball had hit the ground and he was, he was blowing his whistle. He said it was an incomplete pass. Now, we don't have to get into the nitpicking rules about this, but it's a, it makes a big difference whether he fumbled it or, or passed it. And so, Jim Tooney said it was an in, incomplete pass. No touchdown. Took the touchdown away from the Bears. Well, instant replay worked a little different then, but... The guy in the replay booth radioed down to Jim Tooney that he had made a big mistake, that it was, on replay it showed it was indeed a fumble, and it should have been a touchdown for the Chicago Bears. The problem was when Jim Tooney blew the whistle, he killed a play, meaning that his mistake was not correctable. He had made a big mistake on a big stage, a costly mistake, and it was not correctable. So on his mic, he spoke to the fans at Soldier Field in in Chicago. By the way, I'm so disappointed that Jeff, our policeman's not here, who sits, always sits right over here. He's a big Chicago's, Chicago Bears fan. And I was going to really dog him about Chicago Bears fans. But you know, come to think of it, to... To rag a guy who's 6'3 and carries a gun, probably not a good idea anyway, so maybe God, maybe God was merciful to me and sent Jeff on vacation today. Where was I? Jim Tooney is standing in front of all those raucous fans at Soldier Field, those Chicago Bears fans, and he has made a big mistake that cost him a touchdown. Here's what he says. I walked to the middle of Soldier Field in front of 68,000 Bears fans who saw me as the villain who had stolen their touchdown. And I said, although instant replay rules it a fumble, I called it as an incomplete pass and blew the whistle. Therefore, it is New York's ball, fourth down. I wanted to go home, he said, but I couldn't. I had to concentrate on the next play. Don't miss the power of that line. I had to concentrate on the next play. 
What was I thinking as I ran downfield? That play is dead, history gone, I can never change it. But if I let my mind dwell on the last play or if I worry about my self-image, I'm not going to be effective for the next call. I couldn't think about now, I couldn't, I couldn't think now about whether it was right or wrong. He had to concentrate on the next play. Jim Tooney is one of the best referees in the history of the National Football League. He refereed in, in three Super Bowls. He is called the Dean of NFL Referees. He's still living at age 94. One of the best ever. Made a big costly mistake on a big stage that could not be corrected. But he also knew that he had to, he had to work on the next play. Let's be honest, though. Had he made too many of those big errors, he would have, he would have been doing something else, right, in the in the following years. So if you make too many mistakes and you don't get to be a, a National Football League official anymore. See, new beginnings are wonderful. But new beginnings are not simple. Grace is amazing. But grace is not cheap. Let's look at our texts from the Bible for this morning. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Beautiful, beautiful sentiment here. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 1 again, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you read that in the translation called the message, the word condemnation is translated low-lying black cloud, which means that in Christ Jesus... We don't have to live under this low-lying black cloud of shame. Now, should we feel a, a guilty, a pang of, of guilt when we mess up, sin? Yeah, of course, yes. But we don't have to listen to those external and internal voices that say, you are dirty and you are worthless. There's a difference. Should we feel the pang of guilt when we make a sinful choice, yes. But we don't have to live under that low-lying black cloud of shame, of condemnation. But then our next text, which we're not going to read, I'm just going to summarize, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There Paul mentions a member of their church, the church at Corinth, and he says that this man was guilty of sexual immorality that involved his father's wife, which we assume was his, the man's stepmother. So there's some sort of sexual impropriety between them. And Paul says, expel him from the church fellowship. They churched him, to use an old Baptist 800, 1800s term. They kicked him out. New beginnings are wonderful, but new beginnings are not simple. Grace is amazing, but grace is not cheap. Our next text is 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which says there's a man who has brought grief to the church. Now, we don't know what, what the source of that grief was. Had he embarrassed them? Had he you know, been part of a, you know, rupturing the fellowship? But he had brought grief to the church. But Paul says... The punishment inflicted upon him by the majority now, now is enough. And 
It's time to bring him back and embrace him so that he will no longer suffer from undue emotional distress. Let me read it exactly. If anyone has caused the church grief, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So here's somebody who has been punished by the church. We don't know exactly what the punishment was. Was it exclusion? We don't know. Was it the guy in 1 Corinthians 5? We don't know. But he says that was enough and now it's time to to embrace him again. See, new beginnings are wonderful, but they're not simple. Grace is amazing, but it's not cheap. For example, there's something I've told about our, our dog Gracie to the Wednesday night Bible study crowd, but I don't think I've ever told it on Sunday morning. You need to hear this. When Gracie was three months old, we took her to puppy training school which of course is not about the puppies at all. It's about carrying me. It's about training us. And one of the things we learned was how do you, how do you teach the dog to drop something that you want them to drop? I mean, as the, as the trainer said, you dog might have a, a bottle of medicine or, or a sharp knife or something, and you want the dog to... So you've got to teach that dog upon command to drop whatever it is. So we, and of course, when they drop it, you reinforce it with a treat, Right? Well, Carrie and I figured out how to do that, and so when Gracie would grab something, in fact, we have friends who call her Grabby Gracie, so when Gracie would grab something, we'd say, drop it, which she would do, and then trot over to the corner of the den. We, her treats sit on the ledge right about this high, so she immediately, immediately trots over there, and then it, now it's become a racket with, with, with Gracie. Because she'll find something. She'll go in my closet where there might occasionally be a sock on the, on the floor. And she'll come out and you can almost see her smiling. When she'll sit right in front of me in, in the chair. Got my sock in her mouth. And in fact, I took a picture that I showed at First Fellowship. This week it happened. My phone was near me. She came. She had a piece of paper, a note that I needed. That note's in her mouth. I took her picture, said, drop it. She dropped it, trotted right over to the, to the treat bin. I quote a scripture to her all the time. <laughs> Romans 16.1 says, shall we sin more so that grace will increase? I tell you no. I, but and she nods as if she understands, but I don't think, I don't think she does. See, grace is... Grace is an interesting thing. It is not to be abused. It is, it is not leniency. New beginnings are wonderful. But new beginnings are not simple. Grace is amazing, but grace is not cheap. A difficult example of this was in the news just about five weeks ago. And I tell this as, t as difficult a story as it is because it was in the news and so widely uh, discussed. We have to go back to May of 2022 when there was a, a study, the results of a, of a study were, were, were released 
a study of, of abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention. When the stories of, of ministers who had abused women and children and then the cover-up at pretty high levels within the convention. It was in every news source that I saw. That was in May. The, the highest profile perpetrator was the pastor of a, a large church that had now gone to work at one of the large denominational agencies. He had um, assaulted the wife of another pastor in a, in a physical, sexual way. At first he denied it, and then he said, well, it was consensual. But the report was clear. It was not consensual. It happened in 2010. So in 2012, the report comes out, names him at least the highest profile uh, perpetrator. He immediately stepped back from, resigned from uh, the, um, the denominational agency and left or, or gave up all his preaching assignments and left the pulpit, as we, as we say. That was May. At the end of November, just five weeks ago, four pastors, not therapists, mind you, but four pastors, released a video in which they said they had been meeting over these six months with that pastor who had assaulted a woman, and that uh, he was now restored. And they encouraged that, whether it be large gatherings or churches or wherever, that he be welcomed back to vocational ministry and welcomed back to the pulpit. I watched the video, and one of the four pastors said, I'm grateful we have a God who forgives and restores. Me too. But beginnings are not that simple. And grace is not that cheap. Near the end of the video, the, the perpetrator, the pastor, who had assaulted the wife of another pastor, said this, we're, we're all broken people. We all need Jesus. Which is, of course, true. And I don't know anybody's heart, but when any, whenever somebody says, we're all human... I wonder about the depth of their remorse. The current president of the Southern Baptist Convention seriously disagreed with his restoration. In fact, he said he should never be allowed back into a Baptist pulpit. We don't, we don't have that power as Baptists, but he said he believed he should never be allowed back because of the nature of the assault. There was not a word from those four pastors about the pain caused to the woman. Not a word. One of the pastors recounted the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember that? The most famous story probably ever told. Jesus told about a man headed from Jerusalem down the windy road to Jericho. Thieves fell on him, beat him, robbed him, left him to die. Religious leaders walked by on the other side of the road and a, one of the despised Samaritans came and tended to his wounds. The pastor recounted that story and said, this perpetrator, although of course he did not use that word, this pastor was, was like the man on the side of the road. And he said, I would not walk by him as others had. Well, let's think about that story. 
the man on the side of the road is the innocent victim. The perpetrators have hightailed it out of there. We don't know where they are. Let me be clear. These robbers, if Jesus had continued his story, the robbers, they can receive grace and new beginnings. They, God does not count them off. He does not write them off forever. They have the opportunity for new beginnings too. These robbers, wherever they are, But let's not confuse the the perpetrators of the crime with the innocent victim on the side of the road. I don't tell that because it makes me feel good. And I don't tell it to be sanctimonious or pious. But new beginnings are wonderful. They're just not simple. And grace is amazing. It's just not cheap. And if we, if we make new beginnings too easy, and if we cheapen grace, people get hurt, and we forget them. And we all become like three-month-old puppies. New beginnings are wonderful. They're just not simple. Grace is amazing. It's just not cheap. Let me close with a a little more positive or an upbeat example. Refereeing uh, 11 and 12-year-old boys. That's a job. It's much easier to referee Huntsville or Grissom or Lee or Sparkman than it is to referee... 11 and 12 year old boys because these 11 12 year old boys they don't get the they don't have the fundamentals yet right i mean we all know if you got two teams 11 on each side we line up over here they line up over there and there's this neutral zone in between them but those guys sometimes they'll line up plumb over on the other side of the where the other boys are And then when they do line up, they're supposed to be still. They get down that three-point stance, put their hand on the ground. They're supposed to be still. They wiggle and they wave at mom. So what are you going to do? Oh, you can drop a flag every time one of those kids breaks the rules. and You can announce it and penalize the team, embarrass the kid. and, And it'd take like... Three days to play a little league football game, right? So, you, you know, when, it come, when there's a break, you say, hey, number 81, remember, you got to be still when you're up there on the line. You've got you to be still. Or you... <clears throat> Grace and accountability are both important. And the balance is real difficult. I've noticed, by the way, in little league ball games, whether y'all want grace or accountability depends on whether it's your grandson or somebody else's grandson. <laughs> kind of pick, figured out, figure that out. Grace and accountability are both really important, but they're really hard. So what do we do with, with little league football? Do we just throw up our hands and say, well, y'all just have at it? No, we go out there and we do our best. 
And sometimes it's not easy to know or, or even impossible to know. Do we, do we administer grace? Do we administer accountability? What, what does this situation call for? It requires experience and a, a little dose of wisdom. In real life, we, we deal with people who are broken like we are all the time. We're all like a little bit like 11 and 12-year-old boys trying to figure out how to play football. Sometimes we mess up even the fundamentals. And so when we're dealing with each other, what do you do? How, do you administer grace? Do you administer accountability? Man, it's hard. It is hard. But grace without standards is mere sentimentalism. And grace without accountability is leniency. And so, as imperfect people at the dawn of a new year, let's be people of grace. My favorite word and frankly, if I'm pushed, I want to err on the side of grace. But not to the point that that becomes an excuse or that others get hurt. New beginnings are wonderful. They're just not simple. And grace is amazing. It's just not cheap. 